All right. Good morning, High Desert Word Center. How we doing on a beautiful Sunday morning? Amen. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. We're going to have a fantastic time today. Uh, we got another baby dedication. All right. Let's hear it for all the wonderful babies of High Desert Word Center. <laughs> Amen. This is number six or seven, so we have been blessed beyond measure uh, this year with all these wonderful babies, and uh, what a joy, man. What a, there's no greater joy that we could have as a church. Also, we want to welcome our new uh, permanent here now, Jacob and Heather. Go ahead and stand up, guys, and the kids. There we go. Woo! Yes, they are here from Washington. They just got out of the Army and going to be here with us permanently serving uh, in the ministry with us. So you'll be seeing lots of them, lots of good stuff to come, and we're excited about that. Uh, but before we get into all the fun festivities and goodness today, we've just got a real awesome service, so I'm excited about that. But we as a nation have a, a duty, right? It tells us that we're to pray for our leaders and I've, I've done that. I, I can say without fear of contradiction, I've prayed for each president since I've been an adult on a regular basis. Uh, the, president Bush is the first one that since I was an adult, then President Obama and now President Trump. Well, we know that uh, President Trump has been uh, diagnosed and tested positive for the coronavirus. And whether someone likes him or not, that doesn't matter. We're told to pray for our leaders, pray for our, as the Bible calls it, king, we'll say president. And we take it seriously that uh, we have a biblical duty to do that. And so we're going to pray for our national leader this morning. Can we stand up together and do this? It's a serious matter. It's a serious time. And we can see that very clearly we've outlined the past several weeks how we are undeniably living in the end times uh, as the Bible taught us about. We're seeing signs day after day after day that are undeniably what Jesus said to look for. But we're going to pray this morning for President Trump and for his wife, the first lady of the United States, Melania Trump, that God's healing would work in them and they'd make a full recovery in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's do this. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you that we live in the United States of America, Lord, and we are blessed to live in this nation. Lord, this nation that for so many generations has made you a priority. And, and Lord, you've used the United States to send forth missionaries and resources and the gospel throughout all the world, Lord. And we know that we are living in a critical and pivotal moment of history right now. And so, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus for our president, Donald Trump, and for his wife, Melania Trump, Lord, that your healing power is working in their bodies in the mighty name of Jesus. We say they'll make a full recovery, no long-term effects from any of this, and that they are going to be 100% coming out of this in the mighty name of Jesus, able to, to finish the race, finish the job that you've given for him. And we thank you, Lord, that you are doing a work in his life and in her life right now. And Lord, we also pray and while we're at it for anybody else in this nation that's going through a battle with COVID-19, that you are working in them and they're looking to you. They're looking to you for healing, God. They're looking to you as their source and as their hope and putting their faith in you. And we're seeing this thing squashed and just a, a, a chapter in history, God. And we're moving forward stronger than ever. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, can somebody say amen? Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to have uh, my beautiful wife, Miss Katie, come on up and fill us in a little bit on a few announcements because 
man, it's October, and you know that we're coming into the good part of the year. And if you live in the desert, you know that October starts the good time of year. Can somebody say amen? Amen. amen. It's Rocktober. Come on, somebody. Oh, praise the Lord. Okay, so a couple of things going on. Um, number, 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 number one. If you are not registered to vote, you best make that happen. It's your duty to stand up for what you believe in, not just your opinion, not just your finances. You need to make sure that you're registered to vote. If you Google, am I registered to vote, there is a website that you can see your voter status. You can also go on there and find out where you're supposed to vote. So don't neglect your duty. Don't stay at home and be a bum. It is also going to be four days this year, so you have literally zero excuse. Okay, no, no excuse to not vote. You need to vote what you believe, what the Bible says. Not your opinion, not your mom and dad's opinion, not your neighbor's opinion. You need to vote, and you need to vote what Jesus says, what the Bible says, and what the beliefs are. And if you don't know what you're talking about and you're just reading some sign on the side of the road, then you need to start finding some stuff out and knowing what you're talking about before you walk in there. And if you have questions, we got answers. So don't hesitate to ask. Um, we've got tons of websites and Ms. T is full of information. So you just stop and ask and we can get you those resources and we, we check out what we vote. We don't just check boxes. Praise God. Okay, anyway, enough of that rant. We've got, praise the Lord, right? Um, we've got family night tonight and through the rest of October, praise God. And this Friday is the women's meeting in Victory Hall, Friday night at 6.30. So you're going to come hang out with me, right? Raise your hand if you're coming Friday. Yeah, ladies. It's the best. Okay, then Harvest Fest is October 23rd. I'm getting so excited. I'm getting excited. I found these tiny pumpkins. I think we're going to color pumpkins for the first time in 15 years. I'm excited about that. Praise God. And that's all I've got for you today. Let's color pumpkins. Who likes to color pumpkins? I, I've seen. Uh, yes, you do. You love to color pumpkins. All right. Very good. Well, with that being said, we are going to go ahead and have our baby dedication for today. We are so excited. So let's have Juan and Arlene and baby Matias come on up and the rest of your family, okay? So Elizabeth and uh, Aliana, come on up with them, please. Amen. We are blessed to have this beautiful young family in our church. Uh, very good. And so this is little Matias. He was born on July 31st. That's Katie and I's anniversary, so I was like, hey, that's what, a, what an awesome day right there. All right, we got Elizabeth coming up and Aliana. Very good. We're so excited for these guys. What an awesome, handsome young man. Look at this guy. <laughs> very, very good. Well, this is an exciting day, and so I always try to kind of remind all of us that this isn't just, we don't ever want to do things just out of, it's a ritual or just something that we do because we do it. 
but there's a meaning and there's a purpose to why we do this. And it is one of the happiest occasions that any church family can celebrate together is the addition of, uh, of a brand new baby. And so we are blessed and we're excited for you guys and we're going to do everything we can uh, to make sure that he's raised in the ways of God and that he sticks with the Lord all the days of his life. So it's a big deal to us. And so again, I remind us, it's not just some tradition or ceremony we do, but it's a serious moment, and it's a covenant with God that we're making, that we're dedicating his life to him. And so, whether we realize it yet or not, God already has a plan on this young man's life right here. God already, before he was ever even born, knew what he wanted him to be when he grows up, knew what he wanted him to do with his life when he gets bigger. And so, uh, I want to share a verse out of Jeremiah chapter 1. The prophet Jeremiah uh, said this. This is what the Lord told him. Jeremiah 1 verse 5, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were even born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. And so, notice right there, God said, hey, I knew you. I already had a plan for you before you were even born. And so God didn't, he's not just coming up with some plans right now saying, okay, we got to get something together for this guy. God knew it months ago. God already had this plan for his life. And so it's an exciting day. And as we dedicate him today, we acknowledge this is not his salvation moment. When he gets older, he's going to make that choice for himself, just like the rest of us did that, you know what? I believe in Jesus and I do want to receive him as my savior. So he's going to have that moment of his own free will, of his own choosing when he gets older in life. But today what we're doing is we're promising, we're dedicating, mom and dad are making a commitment that we're going to train him the right way. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so right now, this is the key time that we're making those choices and decisions and training him in the way he should go. And then when he's older, he's going to make the right choice. He's going to choose Jesus, and he's going to choose to stick close to God. And so, you know, at, at High Desert Word Center, I, I like to say this, that we're, we're more than just some church that gets together once a week because we got nothing else to do. We, we're a family. And we're in this thing together, and we're helping each other out, and, and we're going to do our best uh, to give you guys the resources and any help that we can to make sure that he's raised in the ways of God. And so we're going to make a commitment as a church, too, that, hey, we're going to be a good example in front of him. He's not going to see us out there getting in a fight at Walmart, <laughs> cussing somebody out. He's not going to see us stumbling down the sidewalk drunk. We're not going to do that. We're going to live right lives in front of him, just like we are in front of all the rest of these kids. We take it serious. We've got a church full of kids, full of babies, full of little kids. And, and we, as adults, we, we don't just take that lightly. We're going to live right in front of these guys. So they say, you know what, that's how Christians act. That's how people of God are supposed to live their lives. And we're going to do that for you guys. So today, I want to lead mom and dad in uh, a vow of dedication to him. And so kind of like we would at a wedding, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, uh, say a few words, then you're going to repeat it after me. And we're dedicating him to the Lord and saying that we're going to do our best to raise him in the ways of God. So Juan and Arlene, I'm going to ask you guys to repeat this after me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for giving us the gift of Matthias. We realize 
that we have great responsibility to show him the ways of God. So today, October 4th, 2020, we are formally dedicating his life to you. May he always follow you and never turn away. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so I ask you guys publicly, have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior also, correct? That's right. Amen. All right. And so church family, believe it or not, I want you to stand up with me today. Can we do that together? Got a wonderful crowd of people here today. Can we stand up together as a church family? And I'm asking us together, this is our commitment we can make to this family and to this young man right here, that we're going to live our lives the right way in front of him and do what we can to be uh, a blessing to this family. Amen. And so let's say this together, church family. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you today for letting us share the life of Matthias. We promise, Lord Jesus, to live godly lives in front of him. We will also pray and lead by example. Help us, Lord Jesus, to keep this promise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, well, we're going to hold ourselves to that, aren't we? Amen. Stay standing for just a minute. We're going to pray a prayer over the family here, and then we're going to, he's going to be formally dedicated to the Lord. Amen. So, Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I lay hands on this little guy right now, baby Matthias, and we thank you, Lord, that he was born into this world for just such a perfect time as this. A lot of people would say, 2020, the craziest year ever, but we're saying, no, the most perfect year ever for him to be born. You have a plan. You have a call for this young man. And Lord, 16, 18 years from now, we're going to see what that is. But we thank you, Jesus, that he's living for you. Lord, he's never going to know sickness and disease. He's never going to know addiction. He's never going to have to know all these problems that the rest of the world faces. But he's living for you a healthy prosperous life. He doesn't have to know poverty, God. You're going to bless him in everything that he does, and he's going to serve you and never stray away. And Lord, we know that you've already got a wife set up for this young guy many, many years down the road. And so I thank you that that little girl's being raised in the ways of God too, and they're going to have a wonderful family someday at the right time. But he is dedicated to you, Lord, and we're going to all do our best to see that he makes it there. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, let's give it up for him. Amen. We've got a certificate here that we want to give to you guys, and we'll take a quick picture together with the family if we could do that. Isn't this exciting, guys, that we get to be a part of, of all this? So uh, Miss Desiree is going to take a picture of us together real quick. The rest of you guys can sit down if you want to. I mean, come on. No need, you know, using your leg strength right now. All right, guys, we love you guys. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, well, I'm going to have um, Pastor and Mrs. Pastor come up because there's another wonderful event today, all right? And in fact, it involves this young man that's running up here right now and his wife, Miss Susan. I'm going to let you guys talk about that, but they have a special occasion going on, all right? Thank you, Lord. Oh, I forget he has his own, you know what I mean? Uh, Susan. 
Susan Valdez, come on down. Come on, Robert. <laughs> Hallelujah. <clears throat> Aren't they adorable? Yeah, yeah we, we, we've been here for almost 16 years, over 15 years. These guys were celebrating today their 25th wedding anniversary. So when, you, when, you, when we came here, you guys have been married 10 years, and so we've been on you for over half your married life. Yeah, we, we've watched you. You're num number one, you're pillars in the church. You're very strong in the church. And, and the church is made up of families, like Pastor Dave just talked about. Uh, the best place, the best place to see how to live right is not watching The Simpsons or any of those other goofy shows they have on TV. If you want to know how to live right, you need to be at a good church that's got good Christian men and women raising their children for Jesus and their grandchildren, and and do what's right in the sight of God. These two here, I can say unequivocally. They've been nothing but great examples for all these years, most of the time. <laughs> no, no, this, is, this is really a great couple. And I, was, I was thinking about you guys as we were doing the baby dedication. I was thinking about a lot of Bible verses that spoke to me, my Christian life, and my own marriage and things. But the Lord talks a whole lot about how the husband is blessed when he honors the wife of his youth. When he treats her right, well, Robert, you're ready to say something. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a paraphrase. Happy wife, happy life. But but I look at you and I think, I think about how the Bible teaches about a wife honoring her husband and submitting to her husband as unto Christ. But at the same time, the husband's supposed to act like Christ towards the church and treat his wife like Jesus treats us. And, you know, you guys have done that. I've watched you for all these years. And you're such a great example to so many people. Amen, amen, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand for Robert and Susan. And so I, I know that uh, the older we get, the more we have to adjust to different things in life. I know that by experience. But the thing is, you guys do it with the help of the Lord just like we do. And so we want to pray for you over this 25th anniversary and lots and lots and lots of good, healthy, prosperous, successful years for Jesus. Always serving the Lord first. And you know, a clue for, clue for the rest of you that we've learned in life that the Bible teaches, first of all, you love Jesus more than you love your, your mate, more than you love your children. And too many families put a mate or children really as an idol because they do more for them than they do for God and then they wonder how come things don't go right. But if you put Jesus first and always make your decisions in life based upon Jesus, what do you want me to do? Then you're able to love your wife like Christ loves the church. And then the wife's able to submit to the husband as unto the Lord. And then you're able to train up your children in the ways of the Lord because the number one thing you do, I remember back in Indiana, we pastored there for a lot of years, and they had a license plate in Indiana you could buy for a few years that said, children first. I thought, man, that's error. That's not right. Because you put children first and not Jesus or your mate, then your children become an idol to you. And I'll tell you what, I'm not just talking religion. We love children. My wife and I have eight. <laughs> and we have a lot of grandchildren. But I know that our children always did good because we made a choice when we got married that was going to love Jesus more than each other. And if you love Jesus more than you love each other, that makes it so easy 
have his love through you to your mate. Amen. And I can truly say that I've watched these two do that. They've always put Jesus first. Mom, you got something to say? I just think that they're just blessed, and I just love the example that they've been to the entire congregation. They're here all the time. They're two examples of what it is to be a Christian believer. They work in the house of the Lord. I mean, just diligent, diligent, diligent. Besides that, they love each other. They take time out for one another. And uh, I just thank you for being that awesome example that we all need to see. Well, extend your hands this way towards Robert and Susan. If you want to, you can stand up out of honor for them, too, just like you did for the kids. Amen. Amen. Father, we want to thank you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we know that heaven's real. We know that hell's real. And we know eternity's forever. And, Lord, we know that what we do for you, we've got to do on this side of the grave. Because we know that when we die, your word says that we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. So we know when we take our last breath, we're not serving you down here anymore. Then we see you face to face and we get to worship you by sight because we're with you. And so, Lord, I know that Robert and Susan, in all these years, they're very conscious of spiritual things. They're very conscious they want to put you first and serve you first, Lord. They've always done it with their lives, with their money, with their service to you and the church and all the things they do. And, Lord, you said that great will be the reward in heaven because they put you first. And so we pray right now for them on this earth, Lord. This first 25 years of their life has been sometimes through some rough times, but they've always put you first. They've come through them, Lord. And Father, we thank you as we lay hands on them as their pastors that we're releasing anointing, fresh anointing into their lives, Lord, to finish this race and finish their calling and their ministry, Lord, with joy, with grace, with faith, with love. And Lord, may these coming years, however many they are, Lord, we know there are a lot, but however many they are, Lord, may they be full of strength, health, wisdom, soundness of mind, and Lord, walk in your abundant provision as they always have, Lord, so they can fulfill all you've called them to do, Lord, in life and in ministry to you. We just thank you for your blessing on them, Lord. We call them blessed. And Lord, your word says what you blessed can't be cursed. So thank you, Lord, they're walking in blessing all the days of their life. And this marriage will be finished out with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. amen. morning everybody how's everybody doing blessed you got the right answer you're blessed amen well guess what time it is it's happy time so if you need an envelope for your tithes and your offerings raise your hand and our ushers will come by and give you a nice envelope amen I'm reading today out of Malachi chapter 3 um, I'm in the New King James from beginning in verse 8 going down through verse 12 and I tell you what if you those of us who are tithers and have been tithers forever, we understand the value of Malachi, these verses 8 through 12. This is what we stand on. And there is no greater time than right now 
in this point in history, we are in the last days. If you don't know we're in the last days, then wake up and smell the roses. These are the last of the last days. I mean, all the all the signs point towards us that, that have been prophesied uh, through the Bible through all these years. But listen to this in verse 8. Will a man rob God? What a question. You think, no, I mean, wouldn't even think about robbing God. But on the other hand, I don't know what the statistics are nowadays, but it's something like, what are the statistics, Pastor Dave, about who tithes in the church? Do you remember? Not off the top of your head. But, I mean, it's not, it's not good. But if, you're a, if you are a tither, then you can, you can inherit all these promises that the Lord has said just by your actions. Verse 8 again, will a man rob God? But, you, but yet you have robbed me, God says. But you say, in what way have we robbed you, Lord? And he says, in tithes and offerings. And because so many believers and of, you know, rob God, verse 9 says, you're cursed with a curse. Why? If you wonder why things aren't going right in your life and you're not a tither, here's, here's one of the reasons. You're cursed with a curse for you've robbed me even this whole nation. And he tells us, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. What is a tithe? It's 10% of your gross income. And anything above that is an offering. He says, why are we going to be tithers again? Bring it into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And now try me in this. This is the only time in the Bible it says, you try me, you prove me. Go ahead, I dare you, the Lord says. If I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I w this is the part you need. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Who's the devourer? The Satan, the devil, is the devourer. And he wants to what? John 10, 10, steal, kill, and destroy in your life. But Jesus said, I came that you may have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Amen. So, let me find my place. So, we're for tithers, he rebukes the devourer for our sakes, so that he will not, the devil will not destroy the fruit of our ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And because of that, all nations or all people around you will call you blessed, for you will be a delightsome land, says the Lord of hosts. And you can take that to the Holy Ghost bank. But you have to be a consistent doer of that word, and not hearers, only as the word says, deceiving your own selves in Jesus' name. Amen? All right, so let's say our financial faith confession. You ready for this? All right. As we bring the Lord's tithes and give offerings today, we believe we receive jobs, better jobs, promotions, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, growth and business, settlements, estates and inheritances, interest and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, bills paid off, debts paid off, royalties received, blessings and increase. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all my financial needs so that I have more than enough to take good care of my family, to give generously into the kingdom of God, and promote the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> done dropping off your tithes and your offerings, 
join us, stand up at your seats and join us in praise and worship. Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquer the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh, God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh, God, you have done great things. Come on. Hallelujah, let's sing hallelujah. Hallelujah, God, above it all. 
brought you through and I want you just to think back and just bring that to remembrance it's so important to remember that he's always been with us that he's never left us that he's never forsaken us even when we didn't acknowledge that it was him it was and he was always there and he'll always be there he's gonna make a way you darkness 
Yes, my God, that is who you are. You are here, touching every heart. I worship you. Who you are. 
Heavenly Father, as we worship you and we worship your son this morning, I'm so glad we can call you Father, not just dear God. I know you're God through the world that hasn't committed their life to your son yet, but Lord, we've committed our lives to Jesus. And Jesus said when we give our hearts to him, that we've given our hearts to you. And when we give our hearts to you, said then we have the right to call you Father, not just God. So I just want to thank you and praise you this morning that we can call you Father. And we're your children. We're your sons and daughters. We're not just coming to this world right now full of fear and torment, uncertain about our future, because your word tells us in Jeremiah 129 that you have a good plan for us. You have a future and a hope for us. And in Psalm 91, 16, your word says, because we set our love upon you with long life, will you satisfy us and show us your salvation. And Lord, we know that word salvation means more than being saved, but means deliverance. It means healing. It means freedom. Lord, it means joy. It means peace. It means your love working in our lives towards us and through us to reach out to this world. And so as we come here this morning, Lord, we're grateful that already we sent your holy presence in this church. We're grateful, Lord, that there's a high level of heart expectancy that you're going to speak to every heart. And Lord, everyone watching us on the internet, Lord, we know that you know who they are. You know the number of every hair on their head. You know when they lay down, when they get up. And you know that they're not watching this by chance or accident, whether it's today on October 3rd, 2020, or five years down the road, they stumble across this. We know, Lord, that you know who they are now, what they're going to see, and you're going to speak to them. So we just want to, in advance, give you praise and glory and thanksgiving that today is the first day of the rest of our lives and the Lord, we're going to hear from heaven and know what to do and be delivered from every fear, every torment, every sleepless night. Things are going to change today because you're real and you know us and you're going to talk to us today. In Jesus' name, everybody that agreed with that said amen, amen, and give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can be seated. You can be seated. And... Uh, the title today is, Do You Have a Clean Conscience with Jesus? You can. Do you have a clean conscience with Jesus? You can. And uh, as we look at the things today, I was just thinking as we were worshiping God together a few minutes ago, I got on my knees up there because I like to do that a lot when I worship Jesus. I thought we get on our knees, that's an outward expression of an inward condition of the heart that we're humbling ourselves. We're saying we, we honor you, Lord. And so a lot of times I do that, and it's not for show because I do that at home all the time anyway. When I get on my knees, that's saying, Father, I recognize that you're greater than I. Jesus, I recognize that you're my savior. You're everything. I just bow my knee to you. Because matter of fact, Philippians chapter two says that one day every knee must bow and every tongue must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then it says of beings in heaven, beings on the earth, 
add beings under the earth. And so human beings, well, we're on the earth, we live in a physical body like we are right now. But when we take our last breath, if we're born again children of God that have committed our hearts to Jesus, then we go to heaven, and in heaven we'll bow our knee. It'll be easy to do because we're in heaven. On earth, it takes faith to do that because on earth we have to want to, and we do that in spite of what's going on. But then it says, and beings under the earth, and so the Bible tells us there's a heaven above, there's an earth beneath, and then beneath that there's a hell that's down. And so he says, even the people that reject Christ says they're going to come a day that even if they're in hell, God said, I'm going to make sure they confess that Jesus is Lord, although they missed it. And so a lot of times when I get on my knees, I say, Jesus, you're never going to have to make me bow my knee. I do that willingly. You're never going to have to make me, Father, confess that your son's Lord. I do that willingly because I want to. Amen. And so anyway, uh, saying all that to say this. I learned years ago in this earth walk, there's lots of problems. How many here have ever seen lots of problems? How many have ever been through a crisis? Maybe going through a crisis right now. I know there's a crisis on earth right now, crisis in our nation, and I may be going through it, but I've got my joy, I've got my faith, because I know how it's going to turn out. Amen. I know the Word of God. And so I think about I think about this. Heard a man say years ago, it's always stuck with me in my life, says if there's ever a problem, it's never on God's end, it's always on my end. Hebrews chapter 13 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Malachi chapter 3, the great tithing chapter, before it gets to the tithing, he said, I'm God, I change not. The Word of God's always the same, and so I know that uh, the way I read the Bible, I know in the spiritual arena, there's not just God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the angels of God, there's demons and Satan and demonic things. And in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill and destroy, and he said, I've come for you to have and enjoy life, have it in abundance to the fold till it overflows, so I've got to settle a long time ago that if bad things are attaching to my life and trying to attack me and my family and things I love, I know it's not God, I know it's the devil. Amen. And I know that Jesus said he wants me to have and enjoy life. So if I'm going through things and I'm not getting the victory after, after a reasonable amount of time, then I know it's time for me to stop and do a heart check. And I say things like this, Lord, I know your word says and I look at promises where there's financial things, health things for healing and health. Back when I was a truck driver, if it was job things, I got laid off, needed a job, and it wasn't happening. Or if it's family problems. I know he promised me things about my children, my grandchildren, about my marriage, and things like that. So if I'm under attack and not able to shake it, then I always, in my prayer closet, I say, Lord, I know that your word's true. I know that this is what you said. And Lord, I know you don't lie. And so Lord, right now, I'm really having a hard time getting through this. This thing's not ending. It's just going and going, Lord. The breakthrough's not here. And because you're not going to change, Lord, I ask you to look at my heart. I ask you to look at my thinking. I ask you to look at me, Lord, 
what do I need to change in my life so this thing will change? Amen. Amen. And so that's what we're talking about today. We're, talk, we're going to be talking about your heart, your conscience, your walk with God. And when you know in your heart, based upon the holy written word of God, you're doing right for what the Bible says to do. And then also there's things in your life that the Bible doesn't say to do. The Bible doesn't say you should change this job. When you walk with God, you have to find out in your heart, does God want you to change this job? The Bible doesn't say you shouldn't marry this person. You have to find out in your heart, does God want you to marry this person? I saw a sign one time in front of a Christian church in Noblesville, Indiana. We live in Noblesville, Indiana. The sign said this, you marry a child of the devil, you're always going to have trouble with your father-in-law. Amen. Well, I'll tell you what, when, when, when you marry a child of God, who's your father and who is your father-in-law? <laughs> Amen. Things work a whole lot better. So what I'm saying is this, we have to know how to listen to our heart. If you keep a right conscience with Jesus, it's easy to hear from your heart. I remember one time back in 1985, that's the year that Pastor Dave was born, by the way, so I'm a little bit older than he is. <laughs> But, but back in 1985, uh, the, Lord, the Lord led me to take this certain job. I was laid off from a trucking company. I was a truck driver back then, and I was a Teamsters truck driver. Well, he led me to this job that made half of what Teamsters' wages were. And I even realized some more about that season of life this morning while I was worshiping God. I saw something I never saw before. But anyway, I took this job, made half the wages, but God was meeting our needs. And so on that job, after I'd been on that job for a couple years, I just got tired of the pressure. I worked with people that were very ungodly, which if we're supposed to be out there with them, if, if, if you're the secular workforce, if you're around all Christians, how are you ever going to share your faith? How are you going to lead anybody to Jesus if it's all Christians? So anyway, I was on this job, and I finally took all the pressure I could off this fellow truck driver and the boss, they were drinking buddies, and I was a Christian, so I mean, I got a lot of, a lot of hits every day, lied upon just, just bad stuff, and after a couple years, two or three years, I got really tired of it, so I quit the job to go back to a Teamsters job. And what I did, I jumped out of the frying pan into the fire. I was, I was working with children of the devil, but when I took that Teamsters job, I actually started working with the devil. Man, this boss was the meanest guy you'd ever want to meet. I thought the last people were bad. But man, this guy here, it was really, really, really rough. And so anyway, I kept on confessing everything was okay. I'd tell everybody, all my fellow Christians, man, God blessed me. I'm back in the big bucks now. But this guy cut my arse so bad, I was, making, I was making less on twice the hourly wage than what I was on the other job because he gave me hours and gave me work. This guy cut it way back. It was horrible. And so the Lord just one day spoke to my heart and said, where you quit lying to everybody? I said, what? He said, you know I didn't lead you to that job. I had you on an assignment there. He said, you bailed out. And so I thought, oh, man. And so he said, when you get this right, he said, I'll bless you again. And so I started telling everybody. I said, you know what, guys, I miss God. I said, he had me there to witness these people and it wasn't about the money, it was a ministry. Because as long as I did what I was supposed to do, the money was always there. 
He said, when you start telling the truth that you left there and it wasn't me that led you, then I'll bless you. So I let everybody know, guys, I'm in trouble right now because I didn't follow God, I followed my feelings. And so then when I repented and got it right, he blessed me with the best teamster job I ever had, and I was on it until I went to the ministry. And so I, I saw something about that this morning, and maybe this will help somebody, at least to help me to see it. My, my life's calling was to do what I'm doing now. I did go to Bible school, et cetera, et cetera. But that job I just saw this morning was training for what I'm doing. I had to believe God for finances because my wages weren't the top wages. Well, when you're in the ministry, I want you to know that in the ministry, when you work for Jesus, you're a preacher. We don't have a union contract. Our giving is based upon our walk with God. Our receiving is based upon how God moves on his people. And his people are faithful to tithes and offerings to give to the church, give to the ministry. As long as people are doing what they're supposed to do, then things work good for the preacher to be taken care of. But if people get lazy and back off, then the pe preacher is going to get it because God promised to take care of it. We've got to believe just a little more different to get money into our household. And so when I was a truck driver, worked with these really, really pretty nasty people, then I was doing what Jesus called me to do. I was preaching the gospel to every creature with them. I was walking in love with them. I was walking in faith with them. And I believe in God to take care of my family. And so the Lord just spoke to my heart this morning. The reason he had me there wasn't only to minister to those people. He was training me to use faith for money. He was training me to use faith to go through a hard time when everybody didn't love me. And so I see now more of God's picture for my life that what I bailed out, I short-circuited his school of life for me to get to where I am today to help you. And so I guess that what I'm saying, the reason I have to tell this story is this. Some of you may be in a place right now where where you're at, you think it's all about money. But God says, no, that's the bottom part of it. It's the important part. It's all about you. And he says that he's the potter and you're the clay. Remember when he said that in Isaiah? He said, I'm going to mold you and make you. Well, sometimes he has you in places you don't want to be because he's molding you and making you. And while you're obedient, he'll take care of your finances. But your character is being developed. As your character is being developed, then as you grow in your Christian life, God will be able to send you harder cases. He'll be able to put you in tougher circumstances because you've weathered the storms and you're able to hear from him and help people in life. And then the good news is, as you're faithful to God, his financial provision comes to pass. I'm so grateful to where my wife and I are in life now. Got a 10-acre farm, lots of nice pistachios, lake with great big fish. The men went out there. I never fished in my lake yet myself. The men went out there a couple weeks ago, went fishing, and I, I, was, I, I wasn't in town. They sent me a picture. A guy caught a great big bass in my lake. I thought, that's nice. I'll fish someday and catch some too. See those giant fish I got out there and things like that? But we had to go through a lot of tough times believing God to get the place to where that part changed in life. Amen? And so anyway, God has a good plan for your life. And this morning, I believe, he's going to talk to you. And any adjustments you need to make, 
And don't think you don't need to make adjustments. God doesn't change, but we've got to change. We've got to keep on changing and growing and changing and growing. And sometimes I know that uh, my children, sometimes when they were young, I see my grandchildren now, sometimes they have pains in their bodies. And, you know, I used to hear that expression, that's growing pains. Well, I realize now it really is because the little bones are growing. Little muscles are developing. Sometimes it hurts. And we as Christians have to know that we should always, always, always have seasons of growth where it hurts. Amen. It hurts to change. But on the other side of change is always great blessing. Amen. Somebody give the Lord praise for that. Look at Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. And the word of God says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Does that include the high desert? Are we part of the whole earth? Or if you're visiting here from someplace else, wherever you live, that's part of God's earth. It says God's eyes run to and fro. And you know, for me, I'm 69 years old now, and so I'm a little older than I was when I started. But it seems like the older you get, you start thinking about things you didn't used to think about. How many know that if you're born again, there was a point in time you prayed and you know that Jesus came into your heart and you felt the change? Raise your hand if you've you've ever prayed that prayer. Pastor Dave, i got to have an altar call to close it down. We've got six saved people in this whole church. Man, I thought we was a Christian church. I didn't know we was a heathen church. Raise your hand if you're born again, you ask Jesus into your heart. Amen. Well, did you know that when you prayed... Jesus and the Father personally heard you and they saw you. How many of you prayed that prayer in English? No, I'm serious. How many of you maybe prayed it in Spanish? You know, thing is, if you're over in a Muslim country and you prayed that in Arabic, he understood it. If you're in China or Russia or whatever nation you're in, whatever language you pray in, Jesus and the Father are so awesome and so all-knowing, their eyes are running to and fro. They see every country. They see every nation. And do you know if 10 million people in 10 million different languages prayed that prayer at one time, you'd understand every one of them? I've thought about that lately. And I've kind of thought, said things like this. How do you do that? How do you see me over here praying? You see somebody in the middle of Iraq praying, or Iran, or China, or Cuba, or wherever it is. At the same time I'm praying, you're hearing them pray. And you know them, and you know me, and you're able to answer every prayer all at one time. Well, I'll tell you what, that ought to help you never want to go back to sin again. Never live a carnal life again, disobedience to God. If he's that awesome and knows everything. Isn't that what this verse says? Amen. I've thought about things like that. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to hurt people because he likes to hurt. What's it say? To show himself strong on behalf of them who always curse him and never live for him. No, the Bible says that God's looking for people 
who have a heart after God. And it says when they do, he said he's going to show himself strong in their behalf. And you know, the other day, we was, we was, at, we was at a grocery store, and there's, a, you know, I just, man, sometimes things just come out because I'm full of the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is God on the earth inside of us, and Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. And I was walking through the store, of course, we all had our mask on, you know, doing our thing like that, and I went to get in the line there, same thing happened to him at the airport the other day, I got in the line, and all of a sudden, after being in it for a couple minutes, got a tap on my shoulder, hey, excuse me, sir, the line's back there. I thought, well, wait a minute, oh, man, it's social distancing, man, I just jumped in front of 100 people. Caused that big gap. I said, I apologize. I went and got the back line. I was in the store the other day with mom, and we had, we had the cart all filled up, and I looked up there, saw these big long lines. I saw one. I said, hey, nobody in that line, man. Just those two people at the cash register. So I got in there, then I hear behind me, excuse me, sir. I looked way back there. They were double social distancing. I said, you mean you guys are way back? Okay, that's okay. That's okay. I'll get behind you. It's like that there because of getting behind those lines there. But anyway, that guy, that guy that was there, that other customer there, I said, I said, man, this COVID something else, isn't it? Oh, yeah, 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 especially what happened to President Trump. And so I started preaching. I said, isn't it so good to know that Jesus is greater than COVID-19? That guy said, yeah. I said, isn't it so great to know? And this is the grocery store. I guess it's preaching to everybody. I said, isn't it so great to know that the Bible says he himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. I'm preaching the store to people I don't even know. I said, well, I know that. I said, the Bible says lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I said, I'm glad to know even, even though they attacked me, Jesus told me he's got the answer. Believers lay hands on the sick, everything but COVID. Lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. And so I said that just to say that his eyes are running to and fro. Show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts, whose hearts are perfect. And perfect doesn't mean, you know, when you read words of the King James with our modern talk, we sometimes don't understand King James. Perfect doesn't mean never made a mistake, never commit sins. Perfect means whose hearts are loyal towards God. Whose hearts are fully committed to God. Whose hearts are are at peace. My center column says one of the Hebrew things is at peace with God. And when you know that you're watching your conscience to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and you know the difference between right and wrong and you do choose the right, then you're at peace with God. Even if things don't go right down here, I found out a long time ago, I know that you know when the Facebook stuff first got started, I see people put on things like this all the time. Don't judge me, bro. Only God can judge. And then I saw somebody put on there one time, that ought to be scary. Because if you are living such a wrong life that people want to judge you, then that should be the least of your concerns. Your greatest concern should be, what does God see? And, you know, our church teaches the blessings of God a lot. That's because I think it's more important to emphasize the positive than the negative. But there is another side of that coin about God. It says, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, saith the Lord. God is the judge. And so we should do everything we can. We should strive to stay on the blessing side because you don't want to see the judgment side, but it's there. 
Amen. And so God, God wants to show himself strong on our behalf. And, and actually today, I was wanting to teach on healing, <clears throat> but he led me this direction so I could see how important this is. Because if your heart's not right, you're not going to receive God's best in your healing. Amen. And so uh, years ago, Jesus spoke to me one day. Actually, was in a service here at this church. And he said, tell the people, when I look at their life, I look at three things. Jesus looks at your heart. Jesus looks at your words, because words are very important in the kingdom of God. And Jesus looks at your actions. He said to be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. And I think about another great verse, Isaiah 119, says, if you're willing and obedient, if you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. And so he, look, he looks at those areas, your heart, your words, and your actions, and so, as much as I want to teach on healing today, as I'm teaching on this, I'm teaching on healing. Because <clears throat> you've got to be in position to receive God's best. And so, no matter how much you say you love Jesus, how much Bible you can quote, your actions will be controlled by the condition of your heart. Amen. Your actions will be controlled by the condition of your heart. I want to say that again. What you do, see, you can be saying one thing. You know, you come around a church like this. You can learn lots of Bible verses. You quote verses all day long. But if your heart's not right, your actions won't be right. And he said, if you're willing and obedient, you eat the good of the land. And so although you're talking right, making the right motions, you come to church, raise your hands, you pray, say hallelujah, praise the Lord, I speak in tongues and all those kind of things. But if you don't act right in your life as a Christian, and by act, I don't mean putting on an act. I mean, just it comes naturally to you out of your spirit, just flows out of you, you treat people right. Amen. Jesus told us about the people thing. He told us in lots of things in the Gospels. He said, if people persecute you, and curse you and treat you harshly. He said, you bless them, you pray for them, and you don't turn cursing in return. And you know what? That's not a natural thing to do. The natural thing is, like this saying they had years ago, I don't get mad, I get even. Well, I might get mad and upset if somebody wrongs me, but I don't get even, I get on my knees. And I pray blessings on them, because Jesus told me that's where my life's blessed at, when I bless those that persecute me, amen? And so he looks at your heart, your words, and your actions. So today we're going to focus on the heart part. And so I want you to look at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Proverbs 4, verse 23. And, uh, you know, I, the, the, the kind of preacher I've always been, I've never, ever had a sermon book. You know, I know that some denominations have books, and they put them out way in advance, and they tell the preacher... On this day, you got to follow this. Everybody in the denomination, they got to preach this sermon. They got to do this. They got to do that. But I always, 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 my whole preaching life have prayed, Lord, you know who's going to be out there listening today. Now my prayers change, Lord, you know who's going to be watching today. And I pray this too. I say, Lord, look into the future that people are going to pull this up on the internet in the future and use me today to speak into their lives straight from heaven what you have for them so you can help them. And so I want to tell you, 
There's a heart problem in the church today. I wouldn't be preaching this today. And that doesn't mean that doesn't mean it's bad people. That means sometimes you have to do it. I like what Zig Ziglar said years ago. You have to do a checkup from the neck up. You have to have a heart check. And that's what we're helping you to do today. And so just listen with your heart and let God talk to you. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And, you know, just in case you haven't been around the Bible a lot, you have a spiritual heart, which is your spirit, and you have a physical heart, which is in your physical body. Your physical heart pumps blood to your body, but your spirit is what changes when you receive Jesus. And in your spirit, that's where the Holy Spirit talks. That's where Jesus speaks to you. God leads you through your spirit. And so he said, you've got to guard your spirit. The Amplified Bible says this, I like this. Keep and guard your heart with all vigilance. And above all that you guard, above all that you guard, you guard your heart. For out of it flow the springs of life. Out of it flow the springs of life. And so your inner man is a spiritual production center. And, you know, I'm thinking about that. In the place I got Newberry Springs, I got a really, 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 really deep well, a real deep well. I keep water going into an orchard all the time. I keep water going into a lake all the time, plus all kinds of other things I do. I've grandfathered into a water thing in California, so I use a lot of water. All around where I live, that area out there, there's dried up lakes. And there's dried up orchards. Everywhere there's dead orchards and there's empty lakes. And then I was talking to a well man when I first bought this place. And he told me years ago when they pioneered this area, people had wells that were 75 to 100 foot deep. And so then when the water table began to drop, their wells dried up. And it cost so much to put new wells in, they just gave up their orchards and their lakes because they ran out of water. He said the people that went, mine's 300 foot deep, said the people that went way, way past that said the water table is going to go for a long, 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 long time because there's water there. We went deeper. And so it says, out of your spirit come the wells of life. And so out of our spirit is where our life comes from. See, that's why you guard your heart. You guard your spirit because God's life comes through your spirit. So you got to keep going deeper. You got to just press in with God. You got to be a person that's committed to God, loyal to God, and so I like to say it about this verse this way, for out of it flow the springs of life. This is talking about the anointing. This is talking about the power of God, the healing power of God. And so it says, says that guard your spirit for the anointing of God, the healing power of God flows from your born again spirit. You don't want your spiritual life to dry up. Have you ever in your life, I'm talking about people who walk with Jesus for a while, have you ever felt more spiritual sometimes, you know, more power came out of me than it did before, and you recognize there's seasons of life where you've backed off or something, where you know, man, I haven't been living the best I could do, I haven't been reading my Bible like I used to, haven't been worshiping like I used to, haven't been pressing in like I used to, and the power of God's not there, that's because you're well started to dry up. 
He said, guard your heart. The anointing comes out of you. And so I think about me. When you're, when you're a pastor, you're a preacher, a Bible teacher, you've got to have a lot of water coming out. It takes more water to feed a whole congregation than it does to feed one family. And so we've got to stay hooked up. We've got to do what we can to guard our life and what we watch, who we hang out with and what we do, because that determines how much anointing flows through us. And when serious cases come before me to pray for, I want to make sure I've got what it takes in me to knock it out. Amen. Whether it's my own life personally or other people say, Pastor, can you pray for me? When I pray, I want to make sure that I have confidence the power of God's flowing. Amen. That's so why it says, above all, guard your spirit. How it flows the anointing of God. It's the most important thing in your relationship with Jesus that you can do is to protect your spirit. And we'll be talking about ways to do that. I want to say that again. It's not your Bible time. It's not your prayer life, which they are at the top of the list. Bible time is very important. Prayer time is very important. But those everyday things you do, you don't think about in life, they have everything to do with the food will come out of your prayer life and your Bible study time. Amen. His eyes are running to and fro. He wants to show himself strong. He doesn't say to those who read their Bibles the most, to those who pray the most, he said, but to those who have a loyal heart towards me. And that loyalty comes when maybe on your job you're challenged and you've got a choice. Either tell a lie to get out of trouble or tell supervision Guilty, I'm the one that did it, I'm sorry. Wish you hadn't done that because God's watching right then what you're saying. And you know, it may be in a relationship. How come you got home late tonight? Well, they kept me overtime. Well, if they didn't really keep you overtime, you better tell why you're really late then. If she asked you. Or he asked you. Her. I think I'm going to buy this because my mate won't like it, but maybe I can hide this, and I'll spend this money for this, and they'll never know. Well, you're supposed to honor the one that God gave you. Amen. I'm just saying the little things you don't realize. Pray, read your Bible, but the main thing is keep a clean heart towards God and always know that in the Bible there's no white lies. Amen. No black lies. A lie is a lie. And God wants you to tell the truth. And so you know what I found out about that? The easiest thing is to do, just do my best not to do wrong because I have to be tempted to lie. I want to say that again. You know, well, I think about the times over the years I've been paid over, pulled over by California Highway Patrol. And back in Indiana by the, by the, uh, Indiana State Police or different types of times on the road. I know I never tried to lie my way out of a ticket since I've been a Christian. I tried to pray my way out. <laughs> but I know that uh, a couple years ago when Joe, Joe was in the Marines and he was in Virginia for a while, I was driving his car and he had Marine stickers all over the back of the car and I was driving his car and man, sometimes you get caught up in stuff out there and you don't think. And so, man, I got a bunch of us doing their stupid stuff on the 15, 
Next thing I know, that old carnal truck driver got in. So, man, I'm driving, just doing the thing, and next I look in the mirror, man, a great big white police car, man, all those blue lights and red lights, man, hit me like that. And this great big giant guy kept walking out of his car up to my car like that. It says, sir, do you know you were doing such and such miles an hour? Uh, yeah, I know it. Because <laughs> I already prayed as he'd get out of the car, Lord, forgive me, I know I did wrong. Help Jesus, help my prayer for mercy. Jesus, help, favor Jesus, favor Jesus. And the guy comes up there and he says, are you a Marine? I said, no, but my son is. I gave him the registration. He says, is this his car? I said, yeah. He said, okay. And he went back there, and I've always heard that California Highway Patrol, they get paid to write tickets. They never give you a break. So the guy come back there, just gave me a nice little warning thing, said, said, you know, you really need to slow down. I said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I didn't lie and say, speed Auburn's rope. I didn't lie and say, no, I wasn't going that fast. You didn't see right. I said, yeah, I know it. But the thing is, God can bless truth. Amen. Have mercy, mercy, mercy is good. And so anyway, it says, above all else, guard your heart. Bow flow the issues of life. And so I want to look at Genesis chapter 20 now, and I want to show you an example of what God sees when he looks at the heart. Genesis chapter 20. And I tell you what, thing, little things like this mean a lot to me. See how good God is and what he sees when he looks at our lives. And how many are familiar with the story of when David was called as a shepherd, when God sent Samuel to choose the next king of Israel, David had a lot of brothers, and then God ended up making this statement to to Samuel the prophet, he said, man looks at the outside. He said, I look at the heart. And so when he came, when he came to choose the, choose the king, David was like a 16-year-old kid, but he had, he had giant brothers, lots of more experience in life and leadership and lots of other things. And as they paraded these guys that already looked the best by man, God said, nope, 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 I want the boy. And so that tells me in our lives that this, this is another word for somebody. Education is good, but it's not the thing that's going to get you what you need in life. Amen. Have, having, having good pedigree by people you know is really good, but it's not going to get you God's best because God's going to look at your heart. And I've said this so many times in the job climate this country's been in for so long, God will put an uneducated person that God's blessings on ahead of 10,000 people and have all kinds of degrees. God knows how to put you in the front of the line. Amen. Amen. And so it's not who you know, but it is who you know. And the most important thing is, who knows you? That's pretty good, Mrs. Pastor. Write that down. That'd be a nugget. Okay. And so in Genesis chapter 20, we're going to look at verse 5 and verse 6. But the way this whole thing starts off with, Abraham and Sarah were going through Egypt and they were in a foreign land and even even had been an old woman. Uh, my wife's not an old woman, but she's a good-looking woman getting older. And so Abraham evidently had a wife named Sarah that was an older woman that was a good-looking woman because this king, with all the women he had in his harem, he wanted another woman. And so Abraham knew that 
And so he said, I want to make sure that you tell him that you're not my wife, but you're my sister, because he wants you, and if he thinks you're my wife, he'll kill me to get you. So lie and say you're my sister, that way I'll be able to be spared. And so Abraham was deceiving that king. And so then get down to verse 5, the king did take Sarah for his harem, but then uh, God's talking to Abimelech the king, he said, said he not unto me, Abraham didn't say she's my sister, and she even she herself, he, might, he is my brother in the integrity of my heart, in the integrity of my heart, in the integrity of my heart. And that word integrity in my center column says in Hebrew word is in the innocency, in the innocency of my heart and the innocence in my hands have I done this. He said, I did wrong, but I really didn't know it was wrong. I didn't do it on purpose. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in that integrity, or you were innocent in your heart, and so I withheld from thee from sinning against me. Therefore, suffer thy thee not to touch her. And so this man took this beautiful woman that was another man's wife to be a part of his harem of women, but he didn't know that she was a married woman. And God said, I saw your heart. And I know you didn't do that on purpose. You were deceived. And so God said, I can have mercy on you. He said, you definitely sinned. She is a man's wife, but you didn't know it. And God said, I saw the inside of you that your motives were not wrong. That makes me think about our life about God. He said, my eyes are going to and fro. I'm watching people. He said, I want to show myself strong to people who are committed to me, who are loyal to me. In other words, he said, I'm looking for people that know the difference between right and wrong, and they choose the right. And if they make a wrong choice, but they thought they were making the right choice because they didn't know any better, he said, I could have mercy on them. So they didn't willfully choose to steal that thing. They didn't willfully choose to get into that sin. They didn't willfully to choose to hurt those people because their motives were right in their heart so that I could have mercy and help them out of it. Amen. We're talking about, is, is your conscience clean towards Jesus? And you know, I'm thinking about back the year that I came to California in 2005, we came from Indiana. Well, during that point in time, my parents were both elderly and they were in a nursing home. And with my family, there were seven kids in my family. And so uh, my, my sister, my older brother, my older sister, and myself were the primary ones making decisions about dad and mom. So we had to make the decision about nursing home or not nursing home. Had to make a decision about how to handle finances and property and things going on. And uh, I was the only one that was really walking with Jesus. And I remember we would have, we, we would have family conferences. And I told him this. I said, this is dad and mom. And I said, we got to make decisions not based upon feelings, but based upon what's right in the eyes of God. I said, as this thing progresses, I said, I want to make sure I can sleep at night and never have to look back, did I do wrong? And so my sister and my brother saw that too. So we had to make some hard decisions about things to do. 
But all the time when they would get in a doubt, I said, let's stop and look. Is this good for dad and mom or is this wrong? Is this motive for us to get something out of it or to help dad and mom? And so we made decisions all the way through that whole process till they moved to heaven about doing what was right in our heart. I've never looked back because I guarded my conscience with Jesus. I made sure in my heart that my motives were what's right to take care of them right with the eyes of Jesus. And so although family members got mad about decisions we made sometimes, I don't answer to them about my life. I answer to Jesus. So I've got a clean conscience. And so even if we might have done something wrong, which we didn't, God would have known our hearts that our motives were totally pure. This is not what we can get. It's what we can do to help them. Amen? And so that's what he said with Abimelech. He said, I withheld you from sinning because I knew you was trying to do right. You wanted to do right. And so that your conscience is the voice of your spirit. When you're a born-again Christian and you're walking with Jesus and you're doing what you know to do that's right, you can trust your conscience. Somebody said, well, is your conscience a safe guide? Well, it is if you're a committed Christian. If you're a Christian that knows what you know to do every day, may not make right decisions all the time, but if you are a Christian that conscientiously knows that Jesus is with you every day. You go to church to try to stay hooked up with God. You pray regularly. You read your Bible regularly. You're a person that when you sit in the Bible, you make that decision. If I sit in the Bible, I'll do it. Amen. You're living that way. Your conscience is a safe guide. And so your conscience is the voice of your spirit. And I remember back in 1983, I was in Bible school. And I'll never forget this. It was a prayer class teaching on prayer. And the man made this statement. It changed my life forever. And I'm going to tell you what he said. And if you'll listen to me and take it to heart, I guarantee you, you'll have a good Christian life no matter what you go through. He said this. He said, you can't con God. You can't con God. You know, I remember there used to be a saying, you can fool all the people some of the time, some of the people all the time, Children's kids always used to watch their dad. They'd say, boys and girls, mom, always remember this. You can't fool mom. That's what he guy said on TV. He said, all the people sometimes, and some of the people all the time, but you can't fool God. And so you might con your boss. You might con the baker you want to borrow money off of. You might con your mate. You might con fellow employees, but don't try that stuff with God. If you know you've missed it, I learned this years ago, if you know you've missed it, don't wait till you get to church to ask forgiveness. Don't wait till your private time the next morning to ask for forgiveness. If you know you've missed it on your job, immediately look up to heaven. And say, Father, Jesus, whichever one you want to talk to. Lots of times I talk to Jesus, sometimes the Father when I'm going through things. Just say, forgive me, I shouldn't have said that. And then if there's people involved, you need, you need to look at them and say, you know what? Man, what I just told you is not the truth. Man, I slipped and I shouldn't have said that. Here's what the truth really is. 
That's called guard your conscience. And so you can't con God. Number one, I heard Brother Copeland say this years ago, when you confess your sin to God, that's not when he found out about it. He knew it as soon as you did. He was waiting on you to confess it so he could help you. So the sooner, the sooner you get that settled in your life, you're going to be honest with Jesus, then the sooner the blessings are going to flow. That's a good time to clap. Amen. And so when you make the decision to not violate your conscience, God will have mercy on you when you do do wrong. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And I'll, I'll tell you the things that I'm teaching are number one, live the life I've lived for a lot of years. And I'm not like some of you, I'm not perfect. <laughs> this is not for the perfect ones. This is for the ones that love Jesus and want to grow every day. But, but I've lived this way. And the Lord led me this way to help you today to make some adjustments in your life. That's the first Timothy chapter four, verse one and two says, now the spirit speaketh expressly. That means the Holy Spirit is precisely wanting to say something. How many know that? That's who Paul's talking about, the Holy Spirit. That in the latter times, and like Mrs. Pastor said at offering times, man, if you don't know this is the latter times in the last days, then you're dead. Man, whether you're a born-again Christian or not a born-again Christian, everybody can see this world is not what it used to be. We're in a place that things have been turned up a lot. So he says, in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. Well, I, I purpose I'm not going to be one of the some that departs from the faith. Say this to me. Say, I will not depart from my Christianity. I will stay faithful. I'll stay teachable. I'll do my best to be honest with Jesus and my fellow man every day. Amen. Said, some shall depart from the faith, giving seed to seducing or deceiving spirits. There's demons out there that trick people into believing lies. There's demons out there deceive people that call wrong right and right wrong and try to confuse people. Said some will depart from the faith and they'll choose to believe the lies. It says, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, teachings of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Having their conscience seared, we're talking about your conscience. Talk about your relationship with Jesus, your fellowship with Jesus, your prayer life, your walk with Jesus. The Holy Spirit specifically warns us in the last days of the church age, there will be already a lot of politically correct religious doctrine inspired by deceiving spirits. They're absolutely in violation and contrary to the holy written word of God. You know, I think about Revelation chapter 12, God tells us, about demon spirits that got kicked out of heaven. It said a third of the angels were kicked out of heaven because they rebelled against God. And so demons are fallen angels. 
throughout the earth. And in Revelation chapter 12, it says Satan is the deceiver of the brethren, the accuser of the brethren. It says he knows his time is short. He knows where his eternity is going to be. It's going to be the lake of fire. The lake of fire is where Satan's going to spend eternity. Since he knows his time is short, so he wants to take as many human beings with him as he can. And he thinks it's a feather in his cap if he can get Christians that were once living holy, going to church, serving God, raising their hands, saying, I love Jesus, people that paid tithes, gave offerings, and come into church testifying, I got to witness on my job today. I got to witness to my neighbor. I got to witness to this one. I got, I got to lead this one to Jesus. He says, if Satan wants to deceive people to turn from him, that's a feather in his cap. If a once on fire Christian walking in the truth is on the other road now, then Satan thinks he's pulled something. And so when the Bible warns me about something, I don't know about you, but if I'm driving down the road and I see a warning sign that says, bridge out, stop, I'm going to heed the warning. I don't want to drive off the cliff. I'm going to stop. And so if the Bible says the Spirit speaks expressly, I've never seen that term anywhere in the New Testament before. It says the Holy Ghost is warning you, Christians, expressly in the last days. Well, I'm a Christian. I listen to the Holy Ghost. I'm living in the last days. And so because I'm a Christian, I'm living in the last days, and the Holy Ghost is going to say something expressly or specifically or strongly to warn me, I'm going to listen. And so he says, Some shall depart from faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of devils. That means to me that there's a Bible-correct way to live and a politically-correct way to live. How many know, if you haven't recognized it by now, I'd say 99 0.99% of politically correct is anti-God. I want to say that one more time so you can catch this. My own personal opinion, 99.99% of politically correct things that tell us to quit doing things we're supposed to do, things to quit believing how we're supposed to believe, etc., is anti-God. Why is that? The Bible says... There's doctrines of devils. We have the doctrines of God, which is written in the Bible, and we have doctrines of demons, because the Bible says it. Specifically, the Holy Spirit specifically says there's going to be doctrines of demons in the last days that will deceive Christians. If the Bible says don't do it, don't do it. If God says, I'll bless you if you do this, then do it. Amen. Think about Malachi chapter 3. I'm not going down the road to preach tithing, but he says, you're cursed with a curse because you didn't bring the tithe in. So God said, if you don't tithe, then you're living under the curse. He said, bring the tithe in and I'll bless you. Amen. I'm doing better preaching than you are shouting. And so, if you depart from doing what you know in your heart, I want to say that again. Some things people don't know is right yet. You know, when I first got as a born-again Christian, I didn't know the Bible. A lot of things I didn't know was right and wrong until I started reading the Bible. I was raised in a family that didn't go to church. I was raised in a family that wasn't a Jesus family, and so I was raised in a family 
They thought stealing was okay. They thought lying was okay. They thought getting drunk every week was okay. They thought a lot of things were okay. They thought cheating and cussing and fornication. They thought all those things were okay. Well, in my heart, I didn't know because I was a new Christian. But as I read the Bible, and the Bible told me the kind of sex God could bless, well, I found out how I'd been living before that I wasn't a blessed man. I found out you had to be married to a woman. And so when I got married, I found out what was right, and I lived that way. When I found out how, what God had said about money, I chose that way. Amen. When I found out how God talked about how you treat people, I chose that way. And so if you depart from doing what you know in your heart, the Bible says to do, then you're going to sear your conscience. Now, here's what searing your conscience means. Now, get a hold of this, and I'm going to release the anointing of God on the congregation of people watching as I do this. The anointing of God removes burdens and destroys yokes and takes blinders off your eyes. How many here have ever labored with your hands with a shovel, a hoe, a rake, or a hand tool, and your hands got blistered? You know, maybe it's been the wife working in the kitchen or something, and you worked and you worked, and your hand got really sore. Well, my fingers right now really have no calluses or anything on them, and so they're very sensitive. I can feel my nerves are all very, very tender right there in my fingers because they're working right. There's been seasons where I did a lot of hand labor, especially where I'm working at now, where I used a shovel or a rake or a hoe or a hand tool, and I didn't realize it, but I rubbed myself raw. Well, when that happened, I would get a blister. Now, if I kept on working for a season with that, that turned into a hard callus. And then I could take a finger, a, a needle, and poke my finger. I didn't feel it. I was calloused. I couldn't feel the pain. I had no sensitivity. That's what a seared conscience is. The first time you do something wrong, you really feel bad about it. Feel really bad. Well, then the next time you do it wrong, you feel bad, but not quite as bad. And then you do it again, and that really is not so bad. And then you do it again, and all of a sudden, your conscience is calloused or seared because then he went, well, you know what? That's not wrong. I don't feel bad about that. You know what? Your spirit still does, but you've got a callous on there. Now, that area of life to where you think it's okay to do that because you don't, you're not sensitive anymore. And that's what he said. When you believe those lies and walk in those lies, says you've departed from the faith and your conscience is calloused. God's still talking to you but you're not hearing him. Amen. I believe there's more than that to help somebody. And so you don't want to have an insensitive heart. You want the Holy Spirit to be able to talk to you. And so uh, he'll, he will help you avoid traps and deceptions of the devil. And so if you know you've done wrong, immediately talk to Jesus and repent. I will look at Acts chapter 24, verse 16, and we're coming in the home stretch. Acts 24, 16, isn't it nice to know that God has the answers what we can do to avoid these pitfalls? Amen. I love my textbook. Acts chapter 24, verse 16. The Bible says this, Paul said, and herein do I exercise myself. He says, I exercise myself. Spiritual exercises to have always a conscience void of offense toward God, and toward men. He says, I practice exercises 
Well, how many know that if you're doing physical exercises, you're working out because you want to develop that muscle? You want to develop your legs. You're doing something, you're doing the same thing over and over again, and the more you work on a muscle or part of your body, the stronger it gets. And so if you're exercising your conscience, what's it going to do? It's going to get stronger. Your conscience become more sensitive. It says, I exercise myself to always have a conscience that doesn't offend God and doesn't offend people. This means you must train yourself to always instantly, instantly obey the voice of your spirit. Instantly obey the voice of your spirit. About three days ago, the Lord laid a missionary on my heart. It's not one the church supports, but I haven't supported. I know they're good people. I've just never supported a really, really good ministry missionary couple. And I realize that the season we're in, missionaries are stuck right here in one place. They're not getting to go do what God called them to do because the borders are closed. And they're not raising support if they don't have regular supporting churches and things because they can't go anywhere to tell them about their ministry. Lord put these people on my heart, and I knew that I wanted to sow an offering into them. Well, then, a couple days later, I got a letter mail from these guys, just a regular mission letter, just they wanted to ask for money, just tell me what all they're doing. And I told Mrs. Pastor, matter of fact, I was preparing this sermon. I said, I know in my heart, and I'm not going to wait. And so I found a way to give some money to them online without having to go to the post office to put a check in the mail. And why did I do that? I've learned to instantly obey the voice of my spirit. I knew that without them asking for it, God said, help them. And so I helped them. And so I'm telling you, for you, you need to train yourself. If Jesus tells you something to do, you need to do it. And I'll tell you why it's important. Number one, if it's like that, we want to help people. But number two, if you're very slow to respond or ignore the responses to help somebody else in life, then that's what you'll receive in life. People will be slow to respond to you and may ignore it too. What we sow is what we reap. And that means that we need to be quick to obey God in blessing people. That will come our way. So anyway, in training your spirit, now listen to this closely. Ask yourself, are you saying and doing things now that you knew as a baby Christian were wrong? If it was wrong then, it's wrong now. God didn't change. If it was wrong to fornicate when you first knew Jesus, it's wrong to fornicate now. Somebody said, Pastor, I'm wanting to sink down in my seat. Well, sink down your seat if you want to, just get right with God. Amen. If it was wrong to cuss and tell dirty jokes as a baby Christian, it's still wrong to cuss and tell dirty jokes. If it was wrong to watch R-rated, PG-14 things as a baby Christian, if, they, if that bothered your conscience then, it doesn't bother you now to watch people having sex on your screen, then guess what? You've got a callous conscience. You've got something on you that's caused you not to hear from God. The only time God can bless sex is between a man and a woman in a marriage bed. And if you're watching people, well, that's all they make now, Pastor. That's why we watch movies from the 1940s and 1950s. We watch very few things made after 1960. We can't. Why is it? They violate the Word of God. Within five minutes, you've got two people in bed all over each other. Cussing. Hateful. Things like that. Well, pastor, it's okay for you. Well, if you don't want to have a seared conscience, it should be okay for you too. 
moving right along. If it was wrong when you were a baby, it's wrong now. Has Jesus put anything on your heart to do and you've chosen to put it off? I've talked about how to guard your conscience, keep a clean conscience with Jesus. You can do it. Have you put it off because you consider other things more important to you? Jesus has put something in your heart to do to get other things more important. When I wrote that, I didn't write a check out, I sent it online. But when I sent that money to those missionaries yesterday, what I was going to miss to do it, I was gone for over a week, and I had a lot of mail, bills, things to catch up on. I had a big stack laying there. I thought, no, I'll do this later. Now, wait a minute. I'm getting ready to teach these people how to instantly obey the voice of your spirit. I put all that paperwork I had aside, and I got on online and researched how to get money to these guys. Then I went to do my own work. I put God first. And so you need to think about that. Has Jesus spoke to your heart to quit doing something, and you keep doing it? Has Jesus spoken to your heart? Talk about how to guard your conscience. To quit doing something, you keep doing it anyway because you fear man more than God. What will people say? What will people think? Well, what's God thinking right now? What's God saying right now? Is God saying quit doing it? Is God saying get that right? What's God saying? Do you fear man more than God? And so... The last verse, and because we're running out of time, I'm just going to read this, is from the Amplified Bible. It's Romans chapter 14, verse 26. And I've used this verse for a good part of my Christian life to guard my heart and my relationship with God. And I've counseled many people. They've come to me about making decisions in life. I've told them. I've shown them this verse. I said, you do what I do, and you'll hear from God. <clears throat> you'll be blessed. Romans 14, 26, Amplified says this, For whatever does not originate and proceed from faith is sin. And so when I'm making church decisions, life choice decisions, and decisions that are just really gut-wrenching, where I know that once I do this, it's irreversible, because once I start this process of action, I can't go back. It might be signing a contract, I might be having to talk to somebody and stuff is really uncomfortable, but I know once I say this, if they don't receive it, our relationship's over. But if they receive it, then that's good. But if they don't, at least I'm right with God. And so when I go through things in life that are really hard decisions that have repercussions go either way, in my heart, I close my eyes, I look at this verse, and I say, Lord, look at me right now. You know that I'm doing this in faith. This is not what my head wants to do, but my heart, I know this is what you want me to do. So, Lord, if something happens that I'm making a wrong choice, help me change right now to know. But, Lord, I really believe what I'm doing right now is what I need to do, so I'm going to do this in faith. And that's what the Bible says. And so then it says, that is, whatsoever is done without a conviction of its approval by God is sinful. And so, you know, I want to say this. Can you smoke that joint in faith? Knowing it's going to please God. Can you lie to that boss in faith? Knowing it's going to please God. Can you have sex with that person you're not married to in faith? Knowing that's going to please God. Well, if in your heart you know, if your heart you know, I can't ask God to bless what I'm doing, don't do it. Amen. Amen. So anyway... 
That's some food for thought that you could have a clean conscience with God and do what the Bible says to do. And I'm going to turn this over to Pastor Dave. I'll let Pastor Dave now lead us through communion. I think I've got you all set up. Your toes have been stepped on. Kind of got you tenderized a little bit. Now let's take this into communion and let Pastor Dave help us receive this blessing from God. Amen. Can we stand up together today? Praise God. What a good word, a good time for us to examine ourselves before the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, I'm going to ask Josh to come on up, please, and play the piano for us a little bit. Uh, but what, you know, as we've said all day long, it's just, it's a, it's a unique time in history. It's a unique time uh, for us to make sure that we are right with God and that we are living every day of our lives as close to him as we possibly can. It's not the time to be straying off and doing our own thing, but to be close to him. Uh, here at, uh, at High Desert, whenever we're taking communion, we're going to uh, line up and try to social distance the best we can, but come up and get the elements from us. We're going to say goodbye to our internet audience and thank them for joining us today. And I'm